This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Hello and welcome to another ATP Tennis Radio podcast. I'm Seb Lozier and as we continue life on lockdown this week, following on from last Sunday's exclusive chat with Jamie Delgado, coach of Andy Murray, we have another coaching masterclass for you. We will shortly be hearing from a 57-year-old American who turned pro in 1984 and reached the quarterfinals at Wimbledon that year at the start of a 14-year playing career in which he would win three singles titles and 14 doubles titles. Have you got it yet? Since then, he's gone on to leave and continues to leave an indelible mark on the game as a coach, commentator and administrator. In 1995, he became the coach of one Pete Sampras. He then went on to coach Tim Henman and from 2010 worked as Roger Federer's full-time coach and is currently the coach of Taylor Fritz. He's also a regular commentator on the Tennis Channel and his book Coaching for Life is currently having a new lease of life, it's fair to say. He's also worked for the USTA in America and the LTA in the UK. I am, of course, referring to the one and only Paul Anacone. Paul was very generous with his time and spoke with me at length about many things and we'll hear that interview shortly. But first, Let's just remind ourselves where we would have been in the calendar had we all been watching and listening to live tennis. As it happens, we are almost exactly one year on from a major shock at the first clay court Masters 1000 of 2019. Backhand volley, cross court, Nadal goes down the line. It's protected by Fanini and he closes out the set. He has ended a run of 25 consecutive sets for the 11-time champion. The Fanini boxer on their feet, Match point, Fanini gets the first serve. The backhand spins into play. Fanini goes forehand down the centre of the court. Nadal hooks the forehand cross court on the angle. Forehand from Nadal goes up the line. Fanini slaps the forehand cross court very deep. The backhand cross court from Nadal is good. Slap down the line for a winner. Fantastic, fabulous Fanini. He has defeated Rafa Nadal, the king of clay, the 11 time champion, to secure his first Masters 1000 final. And he's done straight sets an hour and 36 minutes 6-4 6-2 and that victory against the winner of 11 Monte Carlo titles would pave the way for an even bigger high Fanini serves out wide it's a miss it and it's done the biggest title of his career Fabio Fanini is smiling from ear to ear he becomes the first Italian to win a Masters title since the series began and he rises to a career high number 12 and he's done it straight sets no form to speak of coming into this tournament Fabio Fanini is a Masters champion he's the Rolex Monte Carlo Masters winner for 2019 and he's done it in an hour and 38 minutes and straight sets 6-3-6-4 the golden high in Monte Carlo has, has that given you a taste to go out and win some more big titles well I dream for it for sure I mean winning Monte Carlo it's the club when I was born I was practicing there since when I was 14 I'm really near Monte Carlo, it's just 40 minutes away, so, well, 
I will keep my, uh, this moment for sure. And uh, as you say, let's try. I mean, you never know. I mean, I'm here. I'm feel healthy. I mean, with energy. So let's see what the 2020 bring me. And you're working full-time with Corrado Barazzuti, who obviously is a, a great name from Italian tennis in years gone by. You're the main man now. How's that relationship developing? Well, I mean, it's, it's in the Federation. Uh, he worked for the Federation and he's still captain of the uh, Fed Cup a long time ago when they won everything uh, with my wife, uh, Francesca, Sara and Roberta. And uh, now it's only with us, with the Davis Cup. And since the beginning, I think... Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I have a really good uh, relationship with him. It's really good human. Uh, he, he was player better than me, so he knows the situation. Once you step on court, you, he knows when you feel bad, when you feel good, how to work. So I, I have uh, a lot of respect of him. So you've got a good team and you've got a growing family as well. Yes. How's that changed things? Well, for sure now it's quite tough living home because the, the second one is, is the most beautiful thing that could happen in my life at the moment. Fabio Fanini speaking there with Marcus Buckland just before this season closed down with the coronavirus. And Fabio and his wife Flavia will be getting to spend quality time with their new arrival at the moment. And we wish them all the best at home in Italy. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. Another man enjoying himself in Monaco last year was the only American in the draw, Taylor Fritz, who saw off first Joe Wilfred Tonga and then Diego Schwartzman before eventually succumbing to Novak Djokovic. I said earlier, Taylor's fortunes are now guided by a legendary coach and that man, Paul Anacone, afforded me a lot of his time this week speaking from home in the States. We talked about all kinds of things, including Taylor, obviously, but inevitably the conversation started with life on lockdown and how he's coping. It's a new beginning and a new normal for everybody. And, uh, you know, I just think it's one of those moments in history where we don't have a lot of reference points to deal with what we should do. And I think that's why it's really important you know, no matter where we are, we listen to the powers that be, understand the magnitude of what's happening and, and try to be patient and, and try to find some simple ways to occupy our time and, and try to stay happy and healthy. And I think that's important. I think the emotional part of being locked down is something that people don't really think that much about. Uh, we're so used to getting up and running around and doing what we want, when we want, where we want it. And now all of a sudden, not so easy. So it's time for all of us to take a deep breath, try to find some happiness and try and find some simplicity and joy in the simple moments. Now it gives us time to do things that we really try to wedge in in past history, right? Now we have time to spend time around our homes, do some things that we are not used to doing. And I still think it's important to have a little bit of a routine, to feel like you're being productive, to feel like you're doing uh, something positive. So I think while it's important to be informed and make smart decisions and adhere to the social distancing, we also have to find times within those confines to enjoy yourself. I mean, I was out in my little backyard yesterday chipping golf balls into my pool. 
You know, I was trying to find ways to stay active. I go on walks while keeping social distancing and doing exercise outside and, and doing things that, you know, kind of are cathartic. And, and we've got to come together as a world community and do simple themes to survive. It doesn't sound that tough, does it? I mean, it doesn't sound tough. Just stay home and stay 10 feet away from people. Stay home. That's all you need to do right now. You don't need to get in a tank. You don't need to fire missiles. You don't need to be in the trenches. We need you to just stay home. Doesn't sound that complicated, does it? But I'll tell you what, it is taxing and it's very emotionally uh, distressing. And I think people need to be really aware of all of the complexities that are involved. But to have a vision of what will be at the end of this is what motivates and drives me. You're still working with the Tennis Channel, albeit remotely. It must be odd finding, almost finding things to talk about when you've got no live tennis going on. How is that going? It's a bit of a challenge, but I, I've got to give my bosses at the Tennis Channel a heck of a lot of credit. I mean, they're trying and have set up a way where we have kind of five weeks of programming, revisiting a bunch of things, and we're doing it remotely, but we're finding ways, you know, to go over some past matches, to go over, or just finding creative ways to have conversation, content, and discussion. I, I think that that's healthy, and I think that that's fun, and we're doing it, you know, while keeping some social distancing because, you know, we're at home, we have one person in the studio and then three of us at different locations. But it, I think it's, you know, in a weird way, that's one of the biggest challenges of where we are right now. Because usually in, in past history, we've had sports as a distraction. You know, we, we've been able to get away from economic gloom or war or whatever, and we turn on the TV, and whether it's European football or it's American basketball or football, we've been able to disappear into that, and we don't have that. So at Tennis Channel, they're doing a, a great job trying to get enough content together so that we can have a little bit of time away outside of our brains and relive some of the great moments in tennis and create some new debate and conversation about things that have happened while having some fun. So I think it's a very it's a very important thing for all of us. Andy Roddick has joined you, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah is a... it is it true? Is it true that you gave him his job interview? No, I was teasing him on the internet when I when I heard he was coming on. I asked him to send me to send me his resume. And uh, I think we know his resume is uh, pretty darn good, so that wasn't going to be an issue. And um, he's one of the most entertaining, quick-witted, and really intelligent people out there. He's a real good thinker. Um, he's not afraid to say his opinion, and his opinion carries a lot of weight, and it should. I've been friends with Andy for a long time, so I've enjoyed chatting with him both on and off the air. And, and uh, he's been a, a very welcome addition to... Uh, the team that we put together. And I'm guessing that online sales of your book, Coaching for Life, are just rocketing right now. I mean, talk about having a new lease of life. Your book must be just... I think I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that after, after this little interview, it's going to go through the roof. But uh, i tell you what, I mean, this is, a, you know, look, I was, I've been listening to some of the leaders and I've been listening to some of the conversations and clearly life is far more important than tennis, but so many of the themes that they are talking about in terms of resilience and dealing with adversity and and being um, able to manage 
your environment without becoming too negative or beco- becoming overwhelmed. There's so many of the themes <laughs> that I talked about in my book. It's it's kind of ironic, but I always said that the book was really a metaphor for life, and there's no more clear version of that than what's going on right now. And you listen to great leaders, and they talk about you know, facts, and they give you information, and some of it can be really dire and oppressive, but then those great leaders also find ways to give you hope, and they talk about resilience and what character can do and how we've persevered in the past, and and whether you're a great leader or a great tennis player, those attributes resonate and come to the surface in times of pressure, in times of adversity, and in times where things feel bleak. And certain things... I think uh, are also going to make the reality hit home more than others. I mean, we're we're missing some of our favourite events, and yes, they are just sport events, but they're still they're things that people hook a whole part of the year on. You know, Indian Wells has gone, Miami gone, now Wimbledon's gone. What what are your thoughts on that announcement and kind of what it means to tennis, but also to you know, to, to, to people who just love sport and love that time of year and all that that means? Well, I think the initial reaction is is sadness, right? I mean, whenever you lose something that you so cherish being a part of or seeing, it's, it's a loss. And, and that is pretty saddening. And, and I think that from that regard, it, it's, it, it, it digs a, a deeper hole, right? In a time where we're where we're trying to look for things to hold on to and things to look forward to. We're seeing things disappear and go away so that future doesn't look great. But for me, I'm also a person that looks at the macro and the bigger picture and understanding. I I would rather have a more assured understanding of what's happening than have subjective people evaluating and giving opinions. I, I think that that's one of the most dangerous things in today's time is the fact that we have such a saturation of news outlets and information outlets. And some of the information isn't great. And that's why I like to hear experts talk about these things. I want to hear the experts. I want to hear the people that know this stuff so that you have a clear understanding of what's happening. And when you get that, the result is seeing things like the All England Club did, which is pulling the plug on the event. And and that's it's startling, but it's also a reality check. It's also an understanding that we can't fool around with this. We've got to deal with it now. Uh, we've got to find a way to combat this. And I know we're going to come through on the other side. That's that's humankind. That's human nature. That's what we do. We find ways to win and persevere. And this is not going to be any different. Yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. Um, let's talk about Taylor Fritz. Um, flip, flip the switch a little. You've been together since 2018. Um, first of all, how is Taylor coping? I guess you, you've been talking with him. How's he keeping? He's keeping well. We had a good, you know, we talk basically every day. He's started a pretty comprehensive strength and conditioning program, and and this is a really good time for it. You know, now he's got a big block of time, so we can do a bunch of stuff that he hasn't been able to do. And, and granted, it's it's not in the way you want to do it, but. His strength and conditioning coach, Brent Salazar, and, and his physio, uh, Wolfgang Oswald, work pretty good hand-in-hand hand about setting up programs like this. And Brent does the S&C, and, and Wolf does a lot of the rehab and the keeping the body uh, fit. And so they've been really 
spending a lot of time figuring it out. And guess what? It stays fluid. Before it was the beginning of June. Now the earliest is the beginning of July. So it, it, it is a moving target. But um, look, Taylor's 22 years of age. He has a lot of energy. I think he realizes that this is an incredibly serious moment in history, not just in tennis. And he knows that he's got to find a way to get something positive out of it. That strength and conditioning is going to be really important. And then when it becomes safer for us to get on the court as a group, as a team, we will do that. But that's not right now. And then we'll rebuild. So, look, this is a reality check for everybody. But Taylor seems good. He's he's happy. Um, he's working really hard. I'm just afraid he's going to get so good at all of his e-gaming that he's going to become a professional e-gamer and the tennis is going to go out the window. Um, That's interesting about the strength and conditioning, though. Is it something that you were going to do anyway, or is it something that physically you identified that he needed to work on? Well, look, you know, he's a 22-year-old kid and he's got a long, you know, a long, languid body. So he's going to need you know, to work on strength and conditioning. And we don't get a ton of time. You know, the calendar doesn't give us a ton of time to do this. So in a strange way, now is the time where he can actually go, okay, I'm going to hit the gym. I'm going to hit the assault bike. I'm going to get on the weights. I'm going to do, and Brent Salazar can do all this stuff just via iChat. It's very easy. They put on your iPad and you go through the exercises and you sit there and you watch him do it. And, and, it's terrific. You know, that is one way to have some granules of optimism in the scenario that we're in. It's frustrating too, isn't it? Because he, it felt like he had a, a real breakthrough in Acapulco, 500 final for the first time. He's playing great tennis, career high ranking 24. What do you feel is the area that you've kind of improved the most since you started working together? Well, I think, you know, Taylor's one of the most strong-willed people I've ever met. And, and, that can be good and bad. You know, sometimes that can be challenging when I'm trying to convince him of something that he doesn't actually believe in. That That's a challenge for me. But I can tell you when it's good is when there's adversity and he's on the court and things don't look great and, you know, he's not winning or he's a little injured or whatever. He's one of the best unconditional competitors out there. Uh, his emotions he can wear on his sleeve, but I don't mind that because he doesn't ever stop. You know, I've seen him win matches when he's sick. I've seen him win matches when he's hurt. I've seen him fight through adversity when he's not playing well. And to me, those are the ingredients that make it more likely that you're going to reach your potential, whatever your potential is. And so when I see Taylor do that, I'm really proud. And, and you're exactly right. Getting to the finals of Acapulco 500 level event was a really good boost for him. But I don't I don't look at it through a microscope because I do look at the big picture and I understand, you know, there's a lot of stuff that can and can't happen. He's going to go through more ups and downs. And look, I, I really do take the, the macro picture, which is, this is a journey. This is not a destination. You have, it's like riding a bus. You're on a bus and there's lots of stops throughout your career. Roger Federer's bus is still going. You know, if he, if he thought, you know, there was a destination, then why the heck is he still playing? Why is Rafa playing still? Why is Serena still playing? They've got any, everything they need because it's a journey and you're always learning and there's always new things to try to overcome and there's always new ways to try to create a better pathway to reach your potential. So for Taylor, I love reinforcement in a positive way in terms of results, but I really am a big believer 
and sticking to a plan and a process that can help you get closer to your potential. As a big picture kind of guy, do you do you have do you have very routine day-to-day tasks that you do with with Taylor? I mean, it's probably very different now to what it would normally be, but so at the moment he's looking very much strength and conditioning day-to-day. What what would his normal sort of day-to-day be like? Well, normal day-to-day in a training block is you know, usually an early morning gym session. If you're not at a tournament, he'll do an early morning gym session, you know, anywhere from, let's say, 20 to 45 minutes before we get on the court. And then we usually will go on the court anywhere from an hour and a half to three hours, depending on the day. And then he's usually back in the gym. And then sometimes we tag the end of that with another specific session on court, whether it be working on serve or return to serve. It just depends on where we are in the calendar and what's coming around the corner. But right now, we're not worried about it because it's, you know, I talked to him yesterday and he said, I can't believe how sore I am. And now it doesn't matter that he's sore because he's got plenty of time so he can be sore and he can break down the muscles and build them back up. So look, we're all kind of working at this as we go through it because we're trying to figure it out as we go along. And uh, there's a very good team that works around Taylor that we will for sure, maximize the opportunity and the ability that we have in terms of time to get him to become a better tennis player. And the things you do with Taylor, would they be in the same mold as the things that you did with Pete Sampras or with Roger Federer, Tim Henman, say? Or, or do you do you as a coach like to keep changing things up and, and reinventing things? I think you got to I think you got to move with the times a little bit, right? You want to use what's successful and then translate it into a language and into a process that resonates with a different time, right? Because we're in a different time. So my philosophies of, of training and practicing and coaching haven't changed that much. It's the ability to adapt and adjust so that they work now in the year 2020 versus, you know, 1990 or 2004. So you have to be fluid. You have to be aware, but also you have to be aware of the person that you're with. Taylor's very different. He's 22 years of age. So, you know, Roger, you know, he was in his late 20s when I was with him. So was Tim. Pete was younger when I started with Pete. He was 23, but he was already, you know, two in the world. So it's a different process. And now it's the ability to kind of build on that process with a 22-year-old Taylor Fritz, who is pretty clear on, you know, the fact that he wants to see how good he can be. As a coach, the biggest challenge is figuring out how to plug in what you want to do the way that the player will receive it best. And that's what's the biggest challenge in individual sports versus team sports. If you think of team philosophies, whether it's European football or American basketball or American football, you know, the teams generally conform to a coach's philosophy. Well, if you want to be a successful individual coach with professional athletes, you're going to have a hard time if your philosophy is mono-focused and if your philosophy can only be said one way. I want to talk to you about greatness, if you'll let me, Paul. I've, I've read some fascinating things you've said about this in the past. Um, and I guess when you've seen it unfold through players that you've worked with, you must become better at recognizing it in a way, in others. Is there a trait? Are, are there traits that guys like, Sampras and Federer shared that you would now 
recognize and that you'd want to try and impart on someone like Taylor? Or is it too intangible for that? Look, I think, and this is where everything is a subjective evaluation, right? I mean, I believe what makes up every human being, an athlete as well, is three categories. So if an athlete is specific, it's your talent, your athletic talent, your God-given skill set. And then the other two categories are your head and your heart. Your head is the ability to process and problem solve regardless of the situation under any every pressure you're able to think through adversity, you're able to sort problems out, you're able to understand how to problem solve, and your heart is the ability to unconditionally compete. And someone like Rafa Nadal is a great guy to look at in terms of heart. No matter what the score is, he's not giving you one point, you know, right? He's he's never going to give in, he'll never stop fighting, he'll never stop trying. So in terms of greatness, to me, the best of the best are, are the highest in all three of those categories. They may be a little better in one category than the other, but they all resonate pretty high. If they are consistently getting great results, then they're going to be pretty high in all three of those categories. So for me, it's about you know trying to ingrain head and heart, specifically when players are younger, so that they become so that that becomes habit for them. Everything can become habit, right? You can convince yourself, Rafa works so hard and fights so hard because that's all he knows. That's all he's done his whole life. So if you have that mentality from when you're young, that's going to be your normal. That's going to be your ability to do that. If you work on problem solving from a very young age and that becomes your normal, your ability to think through emotion, to think through adversity, and to problem solve, if you start that at a young age and all of a sudden you're 22 and that's what you've been doing since you're 12, that's your normal. And when you do those two categories, then the physical stuff becomes very easy because the other two categories you're taking care of, then you can maximize the physical talent. And when you do that, and you see people that are great in those categories, that's when you see the Nadals, the Federers, the Serena Williamses, the Navratilovas, the people that are able to take each compartment and maximize them. So, yeah, you can teach some of those things. I don't think you can teach all of it, but I think a lot of it can be habit-forming, and that's why you want to do it at an early age. And taking constructive criticism, too, presumably sure. all part of you know being really strong in the head I guess um I, I read that Federer was particularly good at doing that were there examples of that where you gave him something and he really took it on board or did, did he tell you at the time that he liked getting that kind of feedback look so much of what you do with an athlete you have an individual athlete especially you got to be careful you don't want to burst you don't want to crush their ego you want them to be able to hold a mirror up and Roger's one of the I mean I don't know I can't imagine a greater more accomplished athlete that's more able to hold a mirror up and say okay let's try to work on a little bit of this a little bit of that I'm not doing as well here you know he's very self-aware and and so because of that it becomes very easy to coach because you don't have a lot of convincing to do he he does that in a pragmatic way where it doesn't affect his confidence and, and that's one of the reasons why he's been so great for so long he's very comfortable in his own skin and he's able to be very realistic about what he's doing well and what he's not and he kind of problem solves in a way that isn't smothered or suffocated by emotion it's very pragmatic and it's very simplistic and clear so 
if you have that to work with, it, it's a huge benefit. Does that also mean that a player like that is more receptive to taking advice before a match? Like, would you would you feed him any advice before a match, or do they, do they pretty much know what they're going to do? These guys, Every, everybody's different. Everybody's different. Roger was very different than Pete. He was very different than Tim Henman. And you know, Tim was pretty conversational. Was happy to talk a lot. You know, decent amount of time about things, about plans and strategies. Roger was very similar to Tim in that regard. Uh, Roger liked to have, you know, if, if he thought a different way than you, you better be able to prove it to him. You better be able to explain to him why. Otherwise, he's not going to buy in as much. But I think that, you know, Pete, for instance, you need to be very concise. You know, he, he wanted very simplistic, really clear direction. And he wanted, he wanted it done in a way that is unencumbered with a lot of complexities. Just a real streamlined version. Here's what you need to do. Here's what's going to happen if you do that. You know, boom, 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 go out and play. You know, and, and, and so you have to figure out what each player needs, which is part of the art of coaching an individual sport. And one of the reasons I like it so much. I just wanted to ask you as well about Roger. I mean, for some, for some players... I guess this year will affect their careers more than others. For Roger, Wimbledon and the Olympics may, we, we'll never know, may have been his final big push. Um, do you think he can still push on next year into his 40th year and try and do it again? Yeah, I don't, you know, look, he continues to just startle me. Obviously, each, you know, hand of that clock that ticks makes it more difficult for him or anyone that's older, right? Um so I, I don't even know what to think. I don't know what to expect from him. I think one of the challenges for every older athlete is, yes, you need a break, but the longer you're away, the harder I think it is to regain the level that you were at once you get older. Now, I don't know what older means anymore. Is that 32? Is that 42? I really don't know. Um, but I know that Roger is so clear about what he needs to do to stay fresh mentally and to stay uh, fit physically. Pierre Paganini is one of the most amazing strength and conditioning people and in general, just one of the most amazing people I've ever been around. So Roger will be well taken care of in terms of being ready to play, but just how much will father time affect it? I don't even know what to guess anymore. Who do you take in a one-off match between Pete and Roger? Oh, just I think it would depend. It would depend on the environment, and it would depend on the time, right? And this is one of the reasons why I always shy away from conversations of all-time greats. It's not because it's I don't want to say Pete was better than Roger or Roger's better than Pete. I just don't think it's fair. I mean, when you look at someone like Rod Laver and you see how he played, and you say who was better, well, look at the era difference. It's so significant. So, you know, for me, it's very difficult. I can make an argument either way. You know, their ears kind of crisscrossed, uh, so it's closer, you know, and, and, and I could see, you know, Roger probably being a little better on a, you know, on a slower hard, on a slower hard court, but on a fast Wimbledon grass court in the era that Pete played in, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'd put anybody past Pete in that era, you know. Uh, in those conditions, lighter balls, faster grass, etc. I'm not sure I would bet that much against Pete, and that's probably why he won, you know, seven. I believe he won seven out of eight years or something. And and in an era when it was very different, 
So you can make arguments, but there's so many different extenuating circumstances that um, could get you to a different answer. But my biggest thing is that's kind of why I just prefer to sit back and appreciate the all-time greats. Absolutely. Paul, I just wanted to ask you about, I mean, we're talking about Roger, you know, Rafa Nadal, Novak Djokovic. Unfortunately, they're not going to be around forever. Um, of of the other guys coming through at the moment, except let, let's take Taylor out of it, I guess, um, as the player that you coach. Who, who, who are you most excited to watch? Who would you pay the most to go and sit and watch at the moment? Well, right now, I mean, we're in a new era and it's, you know, I think this year to see Zverev get to the semis in Australia after having such a bad start to the year is really encouraging. Of the young guys, he's been closest to the top for a while. But I think he's also had more challenges because he hasn't broke through as much maybe as he would have liked. Um, he tends to be a little bit more reactive emotionally, so that can be challenging. But I think he's got a great game. And he said, he, you know, as we've seen, he's knocking on the door if those old guys ever stop playing. Um, you know, and then for me, the most dynamic player probably is um, Sitsipas. You know, he can play both lateral tennis and north-south tennis. You know, he can come to the net and he can stay back. He's got the most well-rounded game right now, and he's a terrific athlete. So he's knocking on the door as well. And then you look at Felix Ojealiasim. He's still a teenager, and he's in the top 20. So there are three guys right there, Shapovalov as well. You know, there's just a lot of guys, and there's a group of the Americans with Taylor included. You know, Taylor, Riley, Opelka, Tommy Paul, and Francis Tiafo, who I think are all very dynamic as well. So, I, I to me, I, I'm re- that's why we all just have to get through this crazy time in history because I can't wait to see that group start to really believe that they should be playing in the last weekend of majors. That's going to be fun. Yeah, you've. You've had so many roles in tennis, Paul. Player, coach, administrator, presenter now. Um, sounds like you're still enjoying learning, though, working now with Taylor. Uh, how, how, how much do you think you still have to learn? I think, I've a lot, I, think I learn every, something every day. I mean, I, I just think, look, I've been so lucky to lead the life I live um, in this crazy world of, of tennis. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to play and coach and have a lot of other roles in tennis, and I love the sport. I love the game of tennis. I love um, so many aspects of it. But as soon as you think you know more than you know in anything in life, you're in trouble. So I, I've just always been taught from my parents, you know, you've got to be humble. You've got to understand there's always new beginnings and new perspectives. And that's why I love doing what I'm doing. I mean, coaching Taylor Fritz right now with David Nankin, I learn a ton from David every day. You know, and I learn a bunch from Taylor. You know, Taylor's 22, but his lens is from a 22-year-old. So I've got to understand why he thinks the way he thinks and and figure out how to use that as a tool to help him get better. And while I do that, I get to learn stuff. So, look, I'm, I'm really lucky. I love it. I just want everybody to stay safe and sound, and let's just all get through where we are right now. Our thanks once again to Paul Anacone. Before we go, something brand new. Over the past couple of weeks, we've heard from both Dominic Thiem and Milos Raonic as part of Hashtag Tennis at Home. And well, the ATP and WTA tours have now come together to go a step further with a brand new show aptly entitled Tennis United. 
And what better way to get all the insider info from the players at the moment than handing that job over to the players themselves. Hosted by Bethany Matek-Sands and Vasek Pospisil, the show airs every Friday on both tours' websites. And to kick things off, they were joined by world number four and Australian Open champion Sophia Kenin and 19-year-old world number 20, Felix Auger-Aliassime. Here's a sneak preview. First up, I got Sonia, Sophia, Peter, whatever, however you want to call her, Vasek. Who are you bringing in? We got Felix Auger-Aliassime on the line, my good friend, Davis That's Cup right. teammate. Yes. What if I make this shot dude. backward? Oh, man, dude, if you make this shot, you're a legend. Oh! Give me a little bit of an inspirational message. Well, yeah, for me, like, what's valid for everyone, not only, you know, players, is uh, connecting with family. Like, I... I wasn't home for a long time, you know, connecting about the important thing, which is uh, the people close to you. Everyone will come together and, you know, but right now I think the first first priority is for us to stay safe, everyone, and mm -hmm. get past it. And then once the tour starts, everything's gonna, everything's gonna be great. Love it. That's a great message. Nice. Light at the end That's of the tunnel. That is Tennis United. It's new, it's 20 minutes long. Episode one is now on atptour.com and WTATennis.com. It's a very good way to while away some quality time and get behind closed doors with the players on lockdown. I wholeheartedly recommend. It will also, by the way, be music to the ears of our next special guest on the podcast. And he really is a very special guest because this week I also spoke with well, one of the busiest and most important men in tennis right now, the new ATP chairman, Andrea Gaudenzi. His roots in the game, his thoughts on the game, his vision for the game. That interview is going to be made available as an extra podcast. Keep your eyes and ears out for that on the feed. For now, though, from me, Seb Lozier, thanks for listening. Stay home, stay safe. Join us next time. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. review. 